Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Now, you see this all the way through John's Gospel. Jesus says something and people hear it in a very wooden, literalistic way and they don't understand Jesus. The disciples did it all the time and now this woman's doing it. Have you ever felt unseen or unwanted? It's not a comfortable place to be, doing life apart from others and longing to be noticed, wanted and even loved. In the New Testament of the Bible, Jesus meets such a woman as she drew water from a well. His interaction with her was not just touching, it was extraordinary. It tells us something vital about the character of Jesus Christ that you really need to hear. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is again in the New Testament book of John, so let's join him now for The Samaritan Woman. Thank you for being here today and I trust that you experience God's love and his presence and now as we open his word I pray that it will burn in your hearts let's pray father I ask Lord that you would speak through me and father forgive me for my deficiency in not presenting your word in the way it deserves to be presented but father fill me with your spirit and open my mouth while you open the ears of those who are here now to hear your word and to receive your word and to be stronger as a result of hearing and heeding your word i pray for this in the name of the lord of the universe jesus christ amen amen we are looking at the last gospel which is the gospel that john wrote at the suggestion of what appears to be by tradition the apostle andrew who uh, in their discussion uh, they were aware that matthew had written his mark had written his luke had written his and it was andrew's suggestion that john write his and so the the suggestion from andrew was you don't need to tell them you don't need to tell people all the other things that have already been told tell it from your perspective and John's heart, the youngest of the apostles. We know all of the apostles were, were at least under 20 years of age when Jesus selected them. What the heck? Jesus had a youth group of 12, well, 11 teenagers. We, are, we know that one of them was over 20 because he was married, but all of the others were not married. And when it came to the temple tax, it was only, there were only two people that were eligible to pay the temple tax, and those two people, we presume, were Jesus and Peter. The others were young, really young. Would you entrust the eternal destiny of the world to teenagers? I mean, think about when you were a teenager. I mean, we, you knew everything. I knew everything. I was a teenager. I suppose we could, couldn't we, really? But here we have John with a heart for his people, the Jewish people. And yet he's now based in Ephesus. And if you ever go to Ephesus, which is in Turkey, you'll, the tourists will take you to where he lived, where Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived with him because he was looking after her and... And here he is in Ephesus, and when he writes 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And this gospel 
is presented to the elders at, at Ephesus and we see in the closing verses of John where they say, they actually are, their statements in here, that they say something like this, we can tell you that what this person has said is true. And so they're commending it to the church right down through the ages to us today. John's heart to see his fellow countrymen come to know Christ is brought out in what he has to say about Christ's interaction with those who were not Jews. Because in the, in the Jewish mindset, to be saved, you had to become a Jew. And what we see in the way Jesus spoke to people and treated people is that you didn't need to become a Jew. You needed, you needed to become his follower. No matter what your gender, no matter what your race, no matter what your age, you could follow him. It's amazing what God can do with a young person. And he chose these mostly young disciples. What we're about to look at now in John chapter 4 is one of the most remarkable encounters we're going to look at the story of the Samaritan woman. But I want to just pause for a moment before we look at it. It's so easy to read scripture and just rush, 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 done, right off with my day's activities. And I think we need to sometimes just pause. And I hope I can help you do that now. So as we think about this encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman, you probably are familiar with the story. But sometimes you see things for the first time when you've looked at it many times. And so with this, I want you to think about if you were on a mission to save the world, to redeem the world, where would you land? I'm amazed if you've ever seen those science fiction movies where the aliens land on Earth. They always land either in New York or Washington, D.C. Isn't that uncanny? It's like Jesus comes into this world and he lands in one of the smallest nations on earth, a nation that is no bigger than one-third the size of Tasmania. He travels not much further than that, all mostly on foot, occasional little trip by a donkey. And then while he's in this relatively insignificant, invaded country currently ruled by oppressors, he goes to some of the smallest towns, we saw in our last message that he went to a place called Cana, or we generally now say it as Cana, where he performed the turning of water into wine. And it's so small. Why would you come to planet Earth to change the course of human history, as he did, and go to these incredibly insignificant little places? You wouldn't do it, but Jesus did. But it gets worse than that. Rather than attempt to draw big crowds and whoop the mob up, in this example of what Jesus often did, we're going to see he went out of his way to avoid the crowds to meet with one woman so i could have said one person but it's worse than that one 
woman. Now we hear that and go, yeah. but culturally you didn't do that. And Jesus did do that. It's not, it's just, sorry, it gets worse than that. It wasn't just one woman, it was one Samaritan woman. Now you might think, oh, yeah, Samaritan, whatever, that's you know, like Victorian, you know. <laughs> not quite. I mean, okay, no, uh, sorry, yep, Victorians are bad. I, I grant you that. But this is Samaritans. This is a whole other thing, and he takes his time to meet with one Samaritan woman. This is bizarre. What is the point of John telling us this story that none of the other gospel writers tell? And surely we're going to see in this episode, this encounter with Jesus and this Samaritan woman, the incredible care and the incredible love and the incredible patience Jesus has for people. I don't know how to say that because when I say people, it sounds like people. I think the best way I can say it is this, with you. Jesus has time for you. And if you might think, oh, he doesn't have time for me. Yeah, he actually does. He does. And this, this story should tell us that God has deep care. I'm hesitant to use the word love because love, people just think love means tell people what they want to hear and give them what they demand for and do what they request, and that's not love, as every parent should know. That's not love. So God's deep care for the individual is, is seen in this story. It's quite remarkable how Jesus cared for this woman in a time and culture when he was expected not to. So we follow this story. If you've got your Bible, I hope you have. I've asked you to bring paper Bibles if you can and follow with me. In John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. And you see that's in parenthesis. And John the Apostle does this often. He wants readers who are not familiar with Jesus to, to hear this. It says he left Judea and departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So here's my air map if you want to step out in the aisle and take a photo of it. It looks like this. Here's Jerusalem and Judea down here. Here's Samaria and here's Galilee up here. And every Jew in order to go from here to here went around this way because they did not want to go through Samaria because it was the scum of the earth. The, the rat baggiest of rat baggiest people in the in the world and partly because it goes back in history it goes back to a lot of battles that you see in the the slavic regions marco where some bloke insulted some bloke 1200 years ago and you're still holding the grudge today you serbians i don't know what's up although Djokovic is pretty good right so anyway the jews had this grudge that went back hundreds of years against the samaritans and it's like a lot of fights that happen probably if you ask them well, what started? They go, oh, I don't remember. But they still despised these people and Jesus. It's, he did not do the normal route to get to Galilee. Now, note this. He was, he was heading for Galilee. I want you to see. He was heading for Galilee. And he 
had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And the first hour starts at 6 a.m. So this is 12 noon. It's the heat of the Mediterranean Middle Eastern day. It's a hot day. He's weary. A woman from Samaria came. Did you hear what John's telling you? This next verse doesn't, doesn't follow. You see, it's the heat of the day. When did you come to draw water? The answer, not in the heat of the day. You didn't do it. It's blistering hot. And this woman comes just when Jesus had got there and sat down. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So she's presumably got one of those things that go across your neck and ropes holding onto two buckets or something and she's going to fill them up and she's going to walk back into town from this hill where there'd been a well dug. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. There's another thing John's telling us, why the disciples aren't there. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews, John's telling us, have no dealings with Samaritans. And that's putting it mildly. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him huh. and he would have given you living water the woman said to him sir you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep where do you get that living water now you see this all the way through john's gospel jesus says something and people hear it in a very wooden literalistic way and they don't understand jesus the disciples did it all the time and now this woman's doing it we we hear what jesus is saying and hopefully we get what he's saying he's not talking about h2o he's talking about h-o-l-y-s-p-i-r-i-t are you greater than our father jacob she asks Jesus. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that i will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water so she still doesn't quite get it what he's telling her now if you were making this conversation up would this be the next thing in the conversation jesus said to her go call your husband and come here <laughs> The woman answered him, uh, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you are now, you now have is not your husband. What you say is true. Let's just pause there for a moment. She'd had how many husbands? Sorry, this is not a, it's not a trick question. I'm doing half the preaching here. You're doing the rest and you're doing a lousy job. Let's try that again. How many husbands had she had? Five. Why? Why? I'm telling you, as Kim will tell you, more authoritative if it comes from Kim, one husband's enough. Did you know we have a dearth of eligible husbands in Australia? Did you know that? You just have to ask young ladies and they'll go, where do you find a good man who's marriage material? And the answer is, not Tasmania. <laughs> See? See what I'm saying? And this is what I hope every young man hears. That what the world tells you is a lie. What Jesus tells you is that to be the kind of husband that every woman wants is to be the kind of husband who will unconditionally love his wife, unconditionally tell her how beautiful she is, unconditionally serve her, unconditionally commit himself to her highest good and in the process of being faithful to her and her alone, provide for her needs, satisfy her intellectually, emotionally, sexually, physically and materially and together be the ideal support for raising a family because I'm going to make a very controversial statement here. Women are created to have children and men are created to enable that to happen. I didn't hear any gasps. I didn't hear any shocks. But there are some parts of this society where I could say that and people would shout me down. And that just tells you how, how interesting our society has become. This woman had had five husbands. I read this and I go, God, help me as pastor of this church to raise up young men who know how to love a girl, who know how to protect a girl, who know how to look after a girl, who know how to get off the couch and get a job. Sorry, did I just say that? And to be the kind of husband that a girl would say, I want to marry him. This woman had five husbands. We don't know what they were like, but chances are they were abusive. High probability they were abusive. And the one you're now with is not your husband. And you can't blame her because if five had already abused her, why would you want to marry this one? So you get the picture of this lady's life, but get the bigger picture here. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. He knew what this lady had gone through. He knew the abuse. He knew the shunning. He knew that the women of this town would not have anything to do with her. What? else was she doing in the heat of the day all by herself getting water when all the other women came early morning or late in the day to get water 
because she was shunned. She was a shunned woman. The woman said to him, to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she was now really uncomfortable. How do we know she was uncomfortable with Jesus being a prophet? Because of what she said next. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. Hmm, there's that word that John uses a lot through this gospel. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. Hmm. And that expression, the hour, is going to be all through John's gospel. Remember when Jesus was asked by his mother to do something about the wine running out, Jesus said to her, my hour has not yet come. When true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him, which should be the quality of an eligible husband, someone who loves God. We pray for our daughters. We pray for my last two daughters to, uh, who are not yet married, to find a husband who will be a godly man, someone who knows how to lead, someone who knows how to care, someone who's courageous, someone who loves God, someone who's faithfully in church every Sunday because they love Jesus and they love his church, his bride. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth with sincerity, not just reading the words out of a book, but from the heart and to do it because you know it's true. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, John the Apostle tells us, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Get what Jesus said. I who speak to you am he which is a, a Hebraism. It's a Middle Eastern way of saying, I am that Messiah. I am that Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, the purpose that she had come, because now she had just tasted living water and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. <laughs> Can this be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now I, I read this, in fact, I, when I was setting up this graphic, I thought, what? Jesus is saying that when you eat food and it satisfies that deep hunger, you know, if you've ever been with someone and they haven't eaten 
and they're there and, and you're in close proximity and you, you know, you're looking at something or whatever and the next thing you hear... <laughs> ever happened to anyone? Has it ever been you? Is it happening to anyone now? Uh, so Jesus is saying, rather than, than what food does to that, for me, I get a greater sense of satisfaction from doing what my father wants. And I want that to be my satisfaction as well. I'm not trying to sound holier than thou. I'm not trying to sound super spiritual. I'm saying Jesus knew something about the satisfaction that comes from doing and being in the will of God. And I want all of us to be there. To do the Father's will brings me the greatest satisfaction. Jesus was just speaking with a Samaritan woman. He has said, this was the will of my Father for me to speak to her today. This woman. This despised, shunned, rejected woman whom my Father loves. This is the will of God to reach people like this. The hurting, the lost, the broken, the discouraged, the desperate. It is the will of God that all people, regardless of their race, their gender or their age, their sexual history, their relationship history, their religious history, to be reconciled to him. This is the will of God. He wants to bring wayward children home. I think the job of every parent is not just to raise their children, but to raise their children to love and serve God as the highest priority of their life. Surely that gives parents a satisfaction greater than the satisfaction that comes from eating food. Jesus tells his disciple, the woman's gone off into Samaria, she's into Sychar. There are, do not say, he says, there are, Yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see what the, that the fields are white for harvest. You see, Jesus just said, I'm going to send you on a mission where I'm going to have you appeal to people to surrender their lives and come into the kingdom of God. And don't think that's going to be too hard because there are people like this woman who thirsts for it. Demonstration of that, she left the water because she tasted the real water. <laughs> She tasted on that water that satisfies her soul. This is the Messiah, the one who showed me acceptance and love and forgiveness. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. But here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I want you to think just for a moment. Here's the Samaritan woman. We, we are going to read in the book of Acts that the disciples will go into Samaria, Philip, and preach and entire towns will turn to Christ at their preaching. Who sowed that seed? Jesus with this woman right now. He's preparing the way for the evangelization of people in their world. This woman goes into Sikha and she tells others 
what she has experienced. She experienced Jesus. She didn't come to a church and experience a prayer book of cold-hearted praying from people who are more interested in getting out than pressing in. She experienced Jesus, the real Jesus. She didn't become religious. She became a real fully formed human being by being connected to Jesus. And she went into her city and she told them, this is whom I have found. I found the Messiah. Many Samaritans from that town believed in her because of the woman's testimony. And this is what she said. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed with them there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Remember this? Jesus was on his way to Galilee. He had somewhere to be. This interruption to his itinerary, from our perspective, from the disciples' perspective, a two-day stay in Samaria. How comfortable would they have been? I don't know that they would have been comfortable, but Jesus was very comfortable. And he's telling his disciples, these are the people I want you to reach. And there are others, but let's start here. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Saviour of the world. After two days he departed for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honour in his own hometown. Why does John tell us that? Because in Samaria Jesus was honoured. He was honoured by a people who were not his own. And they honoured him. And now he was going back to Galilee where he was raised. His own people. The other gospel writers tell us that the first time he read the scriptures in Nazareth, they dragged him out of the synagogue, took him up to the brow of a hill and were about to throw him off and kill him because he had said these words, Today you have, in, in your eyes you have seen this scripture fulfilled. And the scripture he read from the prophet Isaiah talked about the coming of the Messiah. And for that they considered that blasphemy. And Jesus made the comment, A prophet is not with, has no honour in his own hometown. Are you kidding me? They tried to kill you. Of course. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Hmm. Interesting. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now John has teased us here because we don't know everything that Jesus did at the feast, but he's teased us by saying he did some stuff. I'm just going to move on. I'm not even going to tell you about it. But now John is saying, but I need you to know what happened when he went to Cana. When he went back to Cana, he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill so now he's so Capernaum not too far away from Cana when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son so Cana we know was elevated and now he's going down to Capernaum which was by the Sea of Galilee and heal his son for he was at the point of death 
Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down. My child dies. Jesus said to him, go. Get this. He didn't lay a hand on him. He didn't go near his son. He simply said this, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was now recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the man goes, that's when Jesus told me. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. And this is the point. The man believed Jesus could do it. But when he actually saw that Jesus could do it, without even going anywhere near his son, in another town, Capernaum, with a word from when he was in Cana, he no longer believed that Jesus could do it. He believed in Jesus. His eyes were opened. His ears were opened. He now realized this is the Christ, the Son of God. And John tells us, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. What do we see here? From these two accounts, we see this. The Apostle John is showing us, the readers, that being a believer begins with believing. It doesn't end there. It begins with believing. And what we're going to see throughout John's Gospel with all of these signs and with all of the conversations that Jesus had one-on-one -on -one with people we're going to see that the Apostle John is also showing that believers, that it is the Father's will for all people to be saved. And what we're going to see, it is God's will for you not just to believe Jesus was who he said he was, but to believe in him by putting your faith, your trust in him for your eternal salvation. You see, what these people, the woman at the well the official, the nobleman, what they came to realize was just how great Jesus was. He was great. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 6, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, God cares deeply for those who feel unwanted and unloved. His desire is that all people, regardless of race or gender or age, should be saved. And it starts by believing in him. More of Finding Truth Matters next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.